我们在一个过程当中，going I'd like you to open your Bibles because we're going to look at several passages of scriptures uh, throughout the Gospel of John. As we read these different verses, why don't you see if you can see the common thread that we find in all these verses? We begin with the famous verse in John chapter 1, verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then let's turn to John chapter 5, and we'll read verses 19 and 20. Therefore Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father do. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And the Father will show him greater works than these, so that you will marvel. Then we have one verse in John chapter 8, verse 54. Just read part of the verse. Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me. Jesus answered, and then we turn to chapter 11 and verse 4. But when Jesus heard this, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. 
Then we have two verses in John chapter 13, verses 31 and 32. Therefore, when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and will glorify him immediately. And then in John chapter 14, verse 13. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And then we have four verses in John chapter 17. Verse 1 Jesus spoke these things and lifting up his eyes to heaven he said Father the hour has come glorify your son that your son may glorify you And then in verse 5 Now Father Glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory which you have given me, for you loved me from before the foundation of the world. 父啊，我在哪里？愿你所赐给我的人也同我在那里，叫他们看见你所赐给我的荣耀，因为创立世界以前，你已经爱了爱我了。We know that so much is going on all over the world. 我们知道世界上发生许多的事。But the most important work going on in this world is what God is doing. 可是。and he is doing two things. He is bringing many sons to glory. Those who have been saved by the grace of God, he's transforming into glorious sons. And at the same time, he is preparing for his son a glorious church. A bride in whom there is no spot or wrinkle or any such thing. So in the lives of the believers, the Lord is doing an individual work of transformation. And in the church as a whole, the Lord is bringing the church as his body into his bride. 
Now there are many scriptures that assure us that this process is going on. 有有許多的經文都提醒我們這個過程在進行的。From the very beginning in Genesis,在創世紀的一開始,we see that God made man in his own image.我們看見神按照他自己的形象造人,and destined him for glory.那也預定他得榮耀。He was created to rule and reign over all things upon this earth.他被造乃是要管理世上的萬物。and as we read even this morning in John chapter 1 verse 14 the word of God came from heaven and became flesh why? so that we might see the glory of God in Jesus Christ whenever we see Jesus Whenever John and the apostles saw Jesus, they saw the glory of the only begotten Son. He had the glory of the Father in two particular dimensions full of grace and full of truth. Whenever you saw Jesus, you said glory to God. Glory for His grace. Glory for His truth. And then in Ephesians chapter 5, we also have the assurance that we are being brought into glory. For this is the passage that tells us that Jesus loves His bride. And will present to himself a glorious church. And then from Genesis we go to the end of Revelation. And there we find the New Jerusalem. What is the New Jerusalem? It's called the bride. Come down from heaven. Full of glory. But then we take a microscope and look at that new Jerusalem. And what do we see? Stones. Precious stones. Precious living stones. Every one of us has a place in this city. We're gold. We're precious stones. We're pearl. All these precious things. You will be such a part of the city. So we see that this process is going on. Last time we spoke about coming unto sonship in John. Because, because those of you who have studied the Gospel of John, we find a revelation of the work of the Holy Spirit that's quite unique to this Gospel. When we look at the other Gospels and even the book of Acts, we see the power of the Holy Spirit. 我们在看别的福音书的时候，我们看到圣灵的能力。
But when we look in the Gospel of John, we see that the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives to transform us. 可是我们看约翰福音的时候，我们发觉圣灵在我们里头有发出能力来转变我们。So just like Paul said in Second Corinthians chapter three，啊，就在保罗在啊哥林多后书的第三章，We are living under a new covenant。我们是活在一个新约底下。It's a covenant where the Holy Spirit is writing Christ on our hearts。乃是那个新约就是。uh, it's, a, uh, it's a ministry of the Holy Spirit. And he says this. 他说, when we read the Word of God, 我们读神的话的时候, the Holy Spirit takes the veil off of our eyes. And we see Christ in His Word. And so as we behold Christ like this, as in a mirror, as we behold Christ in His living Word, we are transformed from glory to glory by the work of the Holy Spirit. This is a tremendous truth. This is the glorifying work of the Holy Spirit. Isn't it wonderful when we open the Bible? And we discover something new about Jesus. It's because the Holy Spirit gives us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. John gives us that inward work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, what does he say regarding that work? 他, 他说这个工作是如何呢? Inwardly, 在内在的, first, he convicts us of sin. Uh, 他, 他叫我们的心为罪而, uh, uh, he convicts us of sin, righteousness, and judgment in yeah. John chapter 16. Something like that. <laughs> but the Spirit does more than that. Jesus said to Nicodemus, do you feel the spirit blowing? Like the wind. You don't know where it's coming from. Or even where it's going. But you feel it now. Because when the spirit breathes upon us, it's the breath of life. So Jesus said to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, when the Spirit breathes upon you, you are born again. Isn't that wonderful? But wait, the Spirit's not through. Because as we read the deeper mysteries of the work of the Holy Spirit, we see that the Holy Spirit unites us to Jesus. And then, His special job Right now, his top emphasis, 
He is going to reveal to us all the truth about Christ. And you know how much truth there is for us yet to know about Jesus? There's so much that we still have to learn about Jesus. That Jesus has to say to us. He will bring us into as much truth as we can handle at that time. As we are spiritually able to bear it, He will reveal more about Christ to us. How many of you know that a baby in Christ, a new Christian, if they saw everything about Christ, they would be scared away. Now you don't take a little baby in Christ and show them the mighty Christ in the book of Revelation standing with a sword and everything. It scares them away. Because we know Jesus came as a lamb. But he's coming back as a lion. I think little children in Christ are afraid of lions. But people who know the Lord for a long time, who are old like me, I'm ready to see the lion. I'm going to go pet him. Now the Holy Spirit has so much to teach us. But he can only teach us to the degree that we walk in the light and obey what we know. So we mentioned several times. One of the works of the Holy Spirit is this. As younger Christians, we are sea adders. As older Christians, we are see-throughers. I try to give him a hard time, but he did that very well. (laughs) Because when we first see things, we always look at it. We think the things of this earth are the most important things going on. But as we develop spiritual eyes, we begin to see unseen things. And we come to the place, maybe one day, when we can say, like the Apostle Paul, even our troubles and tribulations are nothing compared to the glory which is to come. Because even now, we don't look at the things which can be seen. They're temporal. See, that's a sea adder. 
But we look at the things that are unseen, which are eternal. Are you a see-thrower? When you see a problem, you say, oh no, a problem. Oh no. But listen, when a problem comes, what do we say? Lord, let me see what you're doing in this problem. Ah, now you're becoming mature. So we see this wonderful work of the Holy Spirit in growing us up. Now, this also has application for the church corporately. Because the Lord is preparing this bride. We know from Ephesians, He's washing her by the water of the Word. He's ironing out the wrinkles until He presents to Himself a glorious bride. Now John writes this gospel at an important time. The church has been in existence for a generation. And she's beginning to show wrinkles. Now I'm so glad none of you sisters worry about wrinkles. But the church was showing wrinkles of age. And John wants to speak to this matter. Now, no doubt, by the end of the first century, many, many saints were faithful witnesses, servants of Jesus. But the church as a whole was losing some of its glory. That lampstand that once burned bright in Ephesus was in danger of being removed. And it's primarily because of one thing. As the church grew older, it began to emphasize outward things. That is acts of obedience, acts of righteousness. They began to emphasize the way you do things, the methods. But as it did this, it neglected something. What is our salvation? As individuals and the church from getting wrinkles. The cross. The cross is anti wrinkle cream. As the cross works upon us, we come back to the reality of our spiritual life. Now, 
And the church in John's time was losing its spiritual reality. And for John, his answer to that was to show the spiritual reality of who Jesus was. He was more than just human flesh. He was the divine Logos. Now this problem of the cross in the church life is very important. We remember from Paul's writings that this was already a problem among the saints. When you look at the churches in the New Testament, now, which church do you vote has the most wrinkles? The most wrinkles. Most spots. And I think maybe you would vote for the church of Corinth. Now, they had two terrible splotches. Making the church of Corinth look quite ugly. When you see the church of Corinth, you don't say, Oh, look at the beautiful bride of Jesus. You say, Eh, what's that? The Corinthians had two underlying problems. Of course, none of us have these problems. But the first problem, that cross needed to work on the pride of those Corinthians who thought they were so smart, so philosophical, so modern. Yeah, right. And so what did Paul have to tell them? I have to remind you. I bring you back to the cross. When you were called. How many of you were big shots? Important. None of you. You were nothing. When I say to you, you were nothing. So why do you think now that you're saved, you're such a big shot? Whenever people get a little Christian knowledge, they suddenly think they're wonderful Christians. And if a church thinks, oh, we have all knowledge, they're in a lot of trouble. Here's the truth. Some of the best churches and testimonies in the world right now. They're made up of baby Christians. They don't have a lot of doctrine. But they know Jesus. And they're trusting in Jesus. And they're praying to Jesus. You can see Jesus in that bride whenever you visit this kind of assembly. 
聚会的时候，你可以看到在他们里头的基督。So the cross has to deal with our Corinthian pride.所以这个十字架需要对付我们里面的呃哥林多的骄傲。Of course, you know what the other problem was.你也知道另外一个问题。Corinth was a sinful city, and the people had problem with uh, sexual lust.啊，哥林多也是一个呃罪恶的城市。嗯，他们他们有许多的呃欲望跟。and unless the cross can deal with the lusts of the flesh, the church cannot come to purity as his holy bride. Now, so I just give you a quiz. What was the problem with the Galatian churches? Religious flesh. And so somebody was telling him they had to be circumcised, even as Christians. What was the problem with the Roman church? The Jews in the church felt that they were better than the Gentiles in the church. How about the church in Crete? Crete. You know the church in Crete? Where Titus had to go? Yeah. What was the matter with that? Paul said, when you go to Crete, Titus, you've got to be like, you've got to treat them like animals. They always get drunk. They always eat too much. They always yell and fight at each other. Now, you know, sometimes you have a church where everybody fights. So we see that the cross needs to work in all of these ways. But by the time of the first generation, when John writes this gospel, the spiritual reality was being lost in the church. And so as an example, when we see some of the miracles that Jesus did in the Gospel of John, part of the reason for this, these miracles is to show the church its spiritual reality. So why why did John tell us about the woman at the well? And why bring up this matter of which mountain should we worship on? Jerusalem's mountain or Mount Gerizim? Because the church was more worried about the place that they worshipped than the spirit of their worship. You understand? What Jesus said is the Father is seeking those who worship in spirit and in truth, not just who goes to a mountain and offers things. Now, 
And how about John chapter 6 when he fed the multitudes? Now any Christian who looks at this chapter will see that within this chapter there's instruction to the church about how to have the Lord's table. Because in the church communion had become a religious ritual. So Jesus spoke to the church and reminded them. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. He says the flesh profits nothing. It's the spirit that gives life. So when we come to the table, we don't come as a ritual. We come and meet the Lord Jesus. And we abide in fellowship with Him as we sing, we worship, and we pray. So, so we see these and many other things. Now today we want to look especially at the grouping uh, I hope you noticed in the scriptures we read. Uh, because when we talk about sonship, we read scriptures that connect sonship with two other things. Now, from all the scriptures we read, did those two things come to your mind? sister said, Glory. Sonship? Glory and Father. These things are tied together in all of these scriptures we read. Now it begins back there in John chapter 114. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now there's the Father's glory. That's what Jesus manifests. Listen, we beheld His glory. The glory of, as of the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth. Son, Father, glory. Now let's talk about glory for just a moment. What is glory? We have two perspectives of glory. Heaven's perspective and our perspective. So first, heaven's perspective. Now when you want a heavenly definition of something, you should open books by P. Austin Sparks. Because many of our brothers' messages came straight from heaven. This is also the reason why many people on earth have a hard time understanding his writings. But just so you can see the divine perspective of glory, 
Here is how Brother Sparks defines Lord. Whenever God's nature, His very being, is satisfied, that satisfaction emanates with a spirit of inexpressible joy, peace, rest, Beauty, wonder, harmony, and life. 这种满足就会发出在灵里面一种无法表达的喜乐、平安、安息、美丽、奇妙、和谐和生命。What a fantastic memory he has. <laughs> All these elements are the components of what is called glory. 所有这些成分都是所谓荣耀的一部分。Now let's let's make it simple. God looks down. And he sees something that he is satisfied. He says, That's my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And when that happens, God's face can't help but beam. And we see the beam. We see God's joy inexpressible. We see peace breaking forth. The harmony and wonder of life. Isn't that wonderful? So, so when they built, built the tabernacle and put everything together, and everything was in place. God looked down. He smiled. And suddenly the whole place lit up. And the priest had to run out of the temple, the tabernacle, quick, because the shining was so strong. Now that's the way the father thinks about the son. When we say we want to see God's glory, then we need to be in a position where God is satisfied. So now let's look at it from the earth view. What is the what is to the glory of God from our perspective? And here it is. When we do the will of God, He is satisfied. And He shows His glory. So doing the will of God becomes very important in the Gospel of John. Whenever we are lined up in the will of God, then his glory shines. Now let's look at some examples from those verses we read this morning. We turn first to John chapter 13 and verses 31 and 32. Now here's what's happened. Judas has just been given a piece of bread by Jesus 
and Judas has gone out to betray Jesus. Now this seems like a terrible moment. It says Judas went out into the night and the spiritual darkness. But listen to Jesus' reaction in verse 31. Therefore, when he had gone out, that means when Judas had left the Last Supper, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him immediately. Now, why does Jesus say, Now the Son of God is glorified? Because now, with the betrayal of Judas, everything was lined up for the will of God to be accomplished at Calvary. You understand? It's like the last piece of the puzzle had now been put in place. And now, the will of God was being done, and Jesus was glorifying the Father. Everything was being done according to the will of God. Even the betrayal of Judas was according to the will of God. Now, from this verse in John 13, now, I don't know about you, but in English, it's hard to understand what that verse means. You seem to have glory like a ping pong ball going back and forth from the Father to the Son, and the Son back to the Father, and the Father back to the Son, and the Son back to the Father. But this is a revelation of the source of glory. Glory can only come from the Father or from the Son. The Father is glorious. The Son is glorious. And so the Son glorifies the Father and the Father glorifies the Son. It's like seeing electric lightning going back and forth as they glorify one another. We read an interesting statement in John chapter 17, verse 5. Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Now, how long has the Son of God had glory? From before the world was. But now he's come to earth. 
And now he's going to glorify the Father as the Son of Man. Because as a man, now he's going to perfectly do the will of God and will glorify God through that. Now at this point, we also have to mention how we fit in to glory. Uh, now I, I don't want you to get too discouraged about this, but you have no glory. You just don't have the batteries for it. You cannot shine with glory. But you have derivative glory. And what does that mean? You have no glory in yourself. But if what you do is in the name of Jesus, then you give glory to the Son who gives glory to the Father. You understand? When we do something in Jesus, by His life, by His will, when we do such a thing in His name, now that glorifies the Father. Let's look at a, a verse of Scripture. In John chapter 14, verse 13, Jesus talks to His disciples. And He says, Now whatever you ask in My name, that will I do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You see it? When you do the will of God in Jesus' name, the Father in heaven doesn't say, Well done, Dana, that was glorious. He says, Well done, Jesus, my son. Uh, because your life came through this vessel. We have derived glory. But also, when, when Jesus the Son glorifies the Father, the Father gives Jesus glory to give to us. Now, maybe you sound, it sounds confusing. Let, let's look at John chapter 17. Verse 22. Now here is the glory ping pong ball between the Father and the Son. John chapter 17 is the Father's glory, the Son's glory, and the Father's glory and the Son's glory. But listen to what he says in verse 22. We get into this picture of glory. The glory which you have given me, Jesus says. 
I have given them that they may be one just as we are one. Now, the Son gives us glory. Now, He doesn't share His glory with us. He gives us His glory so that we can stand in a glorious position, one. What's the most glorious thing about the church on earth? It's when she is one. Even as the Father and the Son are one. When the church is one in spirit. And living in one accord. The glory of God can be seen upon that church. Because the very nature of God is one. The Father and the Son are one. And so their glory dashes back and forth. I have given them your glory that they may be one as we are one. Our tremendous witness in this day is to stand in one with all believers in Christ. Now we have so many different uh, groups of Christians, we can't even number them. There's denominations, but God doesn't look at that. Do we stand one with all born again Christians? God shines His glory on there. So, anyway, maybe that glory part was confusing, but let's make one summary statement. Our, our first sonship statement. A son does the will of his heavenly father. Now are we sons? Then we do the will of our heavenly father. This is very important. Jesus is our example. Now here is where the Gospel of John is the most unique piece of literature we have in the New Testament. In the Gospels and in the book of Acts we see Jesus working with mighty power. Gospel and in the book of Acts. But in John, he reveals a secret not deeply revealed anywhere else. Jesus was one with the Father doing the will of God. Let's just look at a couple of scriptures. In John chapter 5, verse 30, you know the disciples looked at Jesus 
And they saw a mighty man of God. They saw his miracles. They heard his wisdom. He had something about him that was divine. Now, don't you think they were surprised when they heard this word from Jesus in John chapter 5, verse 30? This is such a powerful man. Here's his secret. I can do nothing of myself. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. Now the disciples would not have argued at all that Jesus was doing the will of God. But we're quite surprised when we hear Jesus say, I don't do anything on my own. Because we see him so powerful, we think, boy, he moves about and he does miracles and he speaks. But everything is in relation to his Father. So you know that famous story in John chapter 8. When a woman is caught in adultery and they throw her at Jesus and say, now what should we do with her? Stone her like the law says? And you remember Jesus' strange response? He started writing in the dirt. But what was he really doing? Now all kinds of Bible teachers, they tell you what he was writing. Well, those Bible teachers must be angels from heaven to know what he wrote. But I think I have a clue to what he was doing. He's writing in the dirt. And he's saying, Father, what should I say? He just took that moment. And seek the Father's wisdom. And down from heaven came the right answer. Okay, whoever has no sin, throw the first stone. One by one. They left. I do nothing of myself. As I hear, I speak. I don't do my own will. I do my Father's will. What a secret this is that John tells us about. We see Jesus as the Son of God because He perfectly obeyed the will of God. But what is the secret we see? My friends, this is so difficult to speak about. Because Jesus is bringing us in to the Holy of Holies of His heart with the Father. 
Don't read Father, Son, Father, Son, Father, Son through the Gospel of John and just think that's ordinary words. Jesus is speaking to us the great mystery of how he ticks. And what Jesus is saying is this. I'm a son because I do the will of God. But even in doing the will of God, I don't hear from the Father. He says, go heal that man. And then I go heal that man. See, that's how we would do things. Right? If somebody says, I want you to go preach the gospel. You say, right, okay, I'm going to preach the gospel. And you go and try as best you can in your own strength. No, but when Jesus was told the will of God, then he stayed in communion with the Father as he did the will of God. The Father guided him as he did the will of God. So there's a relationship there that's holy, it's united, it's one. And this is just a picture of sonship for us. When we do the will of God, depending upon the will of God, and listening for the instruction of God, that glorifies God. Doing the will of God glorifies God. So Paul said, this should be our motive for everything we do. He says, whether we're uh, working, whether we get married, whether we're studying the Bible, whether we're praying, whether we're witnessing, whether we're listening to a message, what does Paul say? Do all for the glory of God. And what does that mean? Whatever you do, do the will of God. By His life. And when you do that, He will be glorified. So our motivation for serving the Lord is not just so we can feel better about ourselves. Or not just so we can look good. Why are we serving the Lord? Because we want to glorify the Lord. Do all to the glory of God. That's what a son does. He does the will of God. He does the will of God with the life of God. And when he does that will, it glorifies the Lord. Now, dear child of God, now we're all children of God. 
By His grace, we've been saved. But we begin to mature into sonship as we do the will of God. As we grow up as sons, we don't become independent of God. We become more dependent upon God. And we see that this is the secret of Jesus' ministry. He didn't say to himself, Oh, I'll go heal that man, God, I can do that. No, no. In his heart he said, Lord, give me your life from heaven to heal this man. Constant dependence. That we might do the will of God. So as sons we grow up. I always like to think of Adam. Before, before Adam sinned, he did the will of God. So what was Adam's life like? Now you imagine, I'm sure, oh, his life was like a honeymoon in Hawaii. In a beautiful garden with palm trees. Picking coconuts and giving them to eat. And he had to cultivate a two acre field, but he could do it in a half hour because he had so much strength, he just ran up and down with the plow. Oh, he lived a wonderful life, just he and Eve. Now, is that your view of sonship? No, no, here's Adam, the son. Father, you see, God, God spoke to Adam. He came in the cool of the day. And Adam says, Oh, God, I'm glad you showed up. This big animal came into the garden today with a long nose. Oh, who, who, who is he? God says, you name him. He said, elephant. He said, okay, he's an elephant. I just tell elephant, bend down, and he'll bend down you can get up on his head. Then he saw Eve. He says, what do I do with this woman? God, I'm glad you came in the cool of the day because this woman's completely different from me. I think yes, she says no. I say go, she says stay. But you know what? He had a life of complete dependence on the Father. You know, God told him what to do. It wasn't independence. Oh, I'll figure out this woman. I'll just leave her alone for a while. She'll be okay. So Adam and Eve were put in the garden to care for the garden. Now, do you think Adam already knew how to run the lawnmower? 
How to take care of the wonderful flowers? Those tender orchids, if you treat them wrong, they die? I think if I know most men like Adam, he did not have green thumb. Green thumb, he could kill any plant, no problem. Oh, but he had to learn how to take care of the plants. Did he have a book to check? No, he had a father to talk to. And our life is to have that same dependence. This is sonship. Sonship is a life with the father. Well, no, I'm sorry, I didn't get to my main point today, but maybe <laughs> next time I speak, I'll get to it. Who has glory? The Father and the Son. They alone can give glory. And they show glory when we do the will of God. Uh, we are sons on the way to glory. So let's be faithful and do the will of God. Amen. Amen. Let's just have a few prayers before we go.